Welcome to Second Wind with Joyce Buford, a program for and about women. Joyce Buford is a certified coach and motivational speaker who has a passion for helping women who need a second win. She is the author of the Amazon bestseller, Effortless Happiness, How to Find Your Voice and Finally Ask for What You Really Want. She studied directly with her mentor, Jack Canfield, and is a fully certified coach in his program. Also, she has served as an assistant in his training programs. Through her study with many prestigious coaches and mentors, she has created a powerful program that has positively impacted thousands of people. On today's program, Joyce and her guests will help you to get your second wind. Now here's your host, Joyce Buford. Welcome. We are here with our second segment on narcissism and the narcissist and the gathering of group of people around him or her. My guest, you know, is Sandra Beck, who's been a wonderful support to talking about the narcissist. And so if you need reference of her background, that's on segment number one, which you can always go back and listen to. So welcome again, Sandra, as we continue on this fabulous journey of discovery and oh, sharing. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> so we're talking today about the two different players in this uh, relationship we call we address one as the empath and the other one as the narcissist and the narcissist was pretty well described in the first segment so the empath would be the uh, partner the person that is bending over backwards to make life easier. They've been spotted by the narcissist in his search for companion or employee. And he says, that's the one for me. (laughs) And so what is it that the empath brings to the, the, the relationship? Well, you know, Joyce, I want to say first, you know, I'm not a psychologist or a therapist. I am a coach. Um, But I, in my own experience of working with a lot of narcissists, I worked in Beverly Hills with a lot of really talented people who just happened to be narcissists. And, um, you know, I had a a marriage relationship and a long-term relationship with one. And I started seeing these trends. And conventional therapy says, oh, you know, the person is a codependent. They lack boundaries. They lack all these things. That's all well and good. But in practical reality, what I saw and what I experienced myself was that an empath is somebody who is a a good feeler. They feel Mm -hmm. feelings. They feel sorry for people. They're the person that you love because they know what to say at a funeral. You know, they know (laughs) to just sit and hold somebody's hand and not talk and give advice and tell them they're in a better place, you know, which nobody wants to hear (laughs) at a funeral. You know, they're just they're nice people and they'll give you the shirt off their back and they're generally good natured and and very kind and easygoing so you know whether you call them an empath or any of the other terms we use nice person easygoing um they're the person that you come to when you need help they're the person you come to when you need a pat on the back they're the person you come to when you've had a bad day and they'll listen to you yeah. And yeah. the narcissist loves it because the empath is somebody who lives to serve. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I serve on the board of charities. I, I take in stray dogs. Like, I'm a classic empath. I don't want anybody to ever be upset and hurt. I like when everybody's happy. And I'll actually work really hard in my household or in my company to make sure everybody feels good and, and is happy. And as a result, yeah. I have employees in my company that are going on 20 years. My company's only been around 22. So, right. you know... That's the type of person that the narcissist would really want so that they could exploit their generosity, their kindness, their patience, and they know they can get away with a lot with you. Right. Well, you've mentioned so many of the good traits, but there's a couple other ones that I think I would be aware of as I am an empath as well. Um would be just this fear of rejection. I don't yes. like to be rejected. You know, it hurts me yeah. because I want to be there for whoever. And when they choose not to be with me or choose to uh, not support me, I do feel rejected. Sure. And, and it's one of the things that I've had to deal with. Uh, just as my, I had an older sister who rejected me a bunch. And then, you know, when we start into that teenage years and being rejected, all of that is just way really beyond. Painful. Yeah. So we do, we have that to deal with, but then we also tend to not have as many boundaries because, you know, if we had a boundary that said, no, I can't do that, that would mean we'd have to reject somebody else and we don't like to reject either so i can identify with those two as really being something now i've had to get a little tougher on the rejection fear of rejection as well as be a little develop the skill of boundaries because as a aggressive volunteer as an aggressive nonprofit leader i just had to develop those skills Well, and let's talk about no for a second, you know, because there are many of us, Joyce, that were taught as a very young age, both male and female, that no is not a nice thing to say. (laughs) No is a dirty word. Mm -hmm. You know, and so and I think, you know, the parents and the schools and the religious institutions were well-meaning in the idea that no you know, we want to make nice people. We want to make, and in a perfect world, if you were, like Joyce, if you and I were working together on something, and we've been working on this project together for, you know, a couple months now, mm-hmm. if I say, oh, you know, I don't have it ready yet, I need to have it to you tomorrow, you're like, oh, okay, that's great, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I think so, I did that. You did, you did exactly that. So, and I felt so bad saying, no, I don't have it yet. And I didn't even say, no, I don't have it. I'm not finished with it yet. I was still fine-tuning and polishing. You know, It wasn't ready for me to give to you, but I didn't say no. I was very careful to say, and then you were very careful to say, oh, it's all right and make me feel better. Now, we work really well together, and we get a lot done. And I'm not trying to exploit you, and you're not trying to exploit me, and our kind of our values, our upbringing, our raising was very similar, so we can work well together. Mm-hmm. But now if I was a narcissist, I would exploit that and say, what do you mean you don't have it done? You have to give me $50 off because you didn't have it done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all this stuff. And so 
you know, not everybody has this huge, big psychological disorder that gets involved with a narcissist. Yeah. A lot of it is the way we were culturally conditioned to behave, especially as women. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. What is with the lack of boundaries, though? Why is that? Because we'd have to ultimately be saying no, but in a different way. Well, yeah, I think that's part of it. But I also think, you know, every family has a certain set of, you know, boundaries are just rules. Okay, boundaries are rules to ease society. They're like manners. You know, in some families, the boundary is to say please and thank you. The boundary is to be thankful for your meal and say grace. You know, um, some boundaries in a household are doors. In my household, my parents were like, doors are always open. You know, we like doors to be open. In my ex-partner's uh, household, doors were meant to be closed. Oh, you know, so, you know, what's right? What's, mm-hmm. there is no right and wrong with boundaries. It's what's right and wrong for you. And right. a lot of times a very easygoing personality like me is like, I don't really care if the door is open or closed. You know, if you want to say grace, I love that. If you don't, I'm okay with that too. Does that mean I have no boundaries? No, but I, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about boundaries until somebody ran over them. Mm. Yeah. So it's not, we're not quite as rigid with the rules. Right? As right. a narcissist. Not really rigid. Yeah. So that's probably something that attracts us to the narcissist is that we are a little more fluid. So, they would like that because then they don't have to fear being committed to us because we could flow either way. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, you're pretty easygoing. I'm pretty easygoing. We both got it done in time for airtime. So, hey, we did great. Mm-hmm. That's somebody that's easily pushed around. I wish you wouldn't say it that way. <laughs> I was easily pushed around. My good nature, my easygoing nature, my tendency to not worry. I'm not a worrier. Yeah. You know, I I don't think people are up to bad. Like, I really have a belief, like, you know, my ex-partner used to call me Pollyanna. I drove him nuts because he's like, you know, people steal, people lie, people cheat. And I'm like, I know they do, but they don't in my world. And that didn't mean denial, but... I had a nice family. You know, I went uh-huh. to a nice school. I don't I don't steal from people. I don't cheat. So why would anyone else? That gullibility that I know now is a big flag for a narcissist to come in and go, wow, I can do some work here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it's it's the dynamics of that relationship is quite interesting and and the the not the dynamics of was talking about the marriage, but the the combination of those two people, how they fit, is just amazing to me. It's and, perfect. And I, it is. It is. So when we talk about actually getting in, when these two meet, they fall in love, or the woman falls in love, or the the 
empath falls in love. Do you think that the narcissist totally rules out any love? I don't think they're capable of loving anything but themselves. Yeah. You know, I think they enjoy their partner. I think they like their partner as long as their partner makes them feel good, makes them look good. You know, I have a lot of friends who have married narcissists that when they got pregnant, the narcissist turned into a completely different person. They were jealous of the baby. They were jealous of the attention given to the mother. They didn't like that the mother was, as they put it, big and fat. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, pregnant with a baby. I think of the Rod Stewart comment of, you know, being upset that his wife couldn't wear high heels and show off her legs because she was pregnant. You know, you just kind of go, okay, you know, what's really important here? So when you have these life changes, um, that's when the narcissist really starts to shine and you start to look at them and go, okay, there's something probably not really good going on here. Because when you're together and your focus is all on the narcissist, they're happy. Yeah. Yeah. But then add kids into the mix, add a job, add careers, add sick family members, add a dog, you know, all of a sudden now the focus isn't 110% on the narcissist. That is so true. And I can see that as the the issue in many times when the narcissist changes his uh, coat or color, it's when that that whole focus on him switches to rightfully so to the children, which has got sure. to do. But I just had a funny thought when you were talking about the baby in the high heels shoes. I bet you never hear a narcissist say we're pregnant. No. <laughs> <laughs> so many of the young husbands these days say we're pregnant, which I think is a sweet way of expressing that happiness and joy right, over and the that pregnancy. That, hey, we're doing this together. Yes, yes. Yeah, but not the narcissist. No, no. No, and I can tell you some funny, just some funny little narcissistic things that, you know, people have said or shared with me over the years. Uh-huh. You know, I was working with this um, guy who wanted to write a book, a client, and I had all these ideas. I wrote out everything, and then he's like, yeah, I'll pay you to be the ghostwriter. And then he's like, yeah, I was thinking about the title, and he gave the title, and he goes, yeah, I'm going to put my name on the cover. And he goes, let's just not mention you. (laughs) And he goes, you know, people don't really know who you are. People don't really care what you have to say. People care what I have to say. And I remember thinking in my head, yeah, but what I have to say is coming from me and you're just buying it, you know, and it was just, you know, they're funny little things like that, but they can't give credit where credit is due. You know, you look at some of these great books out there where they'll say contribution by, Uh you know, they can't share the spotlight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when the mom is pregnant, the spotlight's on her and the baby. And a narcissist doesn't like that unless they can get included in that somehow. And, you know, when the baby cries in the middle of the night and the the narcissist is like, you know, ignore it. Stay with me. And you're like, um, the baby will die if I don't feed it. <laughs> <laughs> and he never gets up. No. He never gets up. 
Yeah. No, but and then conversely, I was I had a long conversation this weekend, Joyce, um, just because of our upcoming shows about what it looks like for the narcissistic wife of the husband. And he gave me some great insight. He was like, yeah, she would be sick all the time and depressed. And, you know, she was never sick and depressed when her girlfriends wanted to go out and meet for a dinner. Uh huh. The sickness and the depression came when the kids needed to be driven places, when the house needed to be cleaned. And, you know, all these things that she didn't want to do, the narcissist, you know, either pretends they can't do it, they don't know how to do it, or they're sick or they're injured. Um, You know, it was just Mm -hmm. amazing. He told me the story about how they had this big yard and they had a windstorm. So he and the kids all went out and picked up these sticks. And he's like, hey, honey, would you come and help us put the sticks in garbage bags? And she's like, oh, I can't. I have an old, you know, college injury from my shoulder. (laughs) And he went to college with her and he dated her in college. And he's like... You had no, you know, he didn't say it, but she had no college injury. She just was, you know, anything she could do to get out of whatever she didn't want to do, she played sick or injured. That's narcissism. That's vulnerable narcissism. They play the vulnerable card. Oh, I don't know how. Oh, I'm sick. Oh, I can't do that. I can't figure it out. Oh, you know, just to get out of what they don't want to do. And everybody, everybody knows those people. Oh, that's so interesting. That never would have crossed my mind. I would have been out there picking up the branches. <laughs> picking up the branches with the kids. Right, that's right, so you funny. Your part. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. Funny, it's not funny. Living it is not funny. But when you go back and look at them and just just the whole tone of our our communication today it is, if you can set yourself apart and you're not living it, you have some distance, it is kind of like a very strange play mm-hmm. that seems to be going on. Yes. <laughs> and the narcissist is the star, the director, and the producer. Uh-huh. Yes. And his name is on the... <laughs> And his name is right. It's his play. He wrote it. He, you know, he starred, he directed it, and he produced it. And, you know, everybody else is just as, but they are really supporting players because narcissists have a really big fantasy life. They really believe that they're better than everyone. They really believe that they're entitled to have everybody else pick up the sticks and not them. They really believe it. Mm-hmm. So if you don't buy into that fantasy, you're the enemy. Right. Well, so how does a a partner work smart, let's say? Let's say she decides or she hasn't made her decision whether to go or stay. And so she is placed in the position she knows what she's got. And I use the she. It could have been a he. Sure. Please understand that, people listening. But... Uh, how does she begin to manage? Is there a way to manage the partner? I don't think you can manage the partner. No, you no. cannot. You cannot manage the partner. But what you can do is manage yourself. Okay. 
And so when the partner does something like, cause this, you have to do this in co-parenting. When you co-parent with a narcissist, which I have 15 years experience, mm-hmm. you start to say, well, that's just the narcissist being the narcissist. Or of course the narcissist said this, you know, um, you start to recognize what they're doing and you accept it as who they are and you adjust. You know, like with polarization, I had an experience recently with the polarization of a parent with the child taking one child on vacation, leaving the other child home. So I could be resentful, I could be angry, I could be frustrated, or I could get into adjust mode. Mm -hmm. Kid, this is just what the parent does. This is the way it is. I know it sucks. How about we go to the beach? We'll get your boogie board out and we'll go, we'll go boogie boarding. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to have to work, so I'm going to bring my work in the morning and, you know, I can take off lunch and we can hang out. And then the afternoon, I'll make my calls from the beach and I'll watch you boogie board. You adjust. Yeah. Because yeah. you're never going to change the narcissist. You're never going to change their innate selfishness. Or how about the fact that they're offended because you don't clap when they take out the garbage, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, they do the tiniest thing and they expect everybody to laud them. And I saw this a lot with, again, a narcissistic parent saying to the child, you should be glad I showed up. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the kid just goes, well, what do you mean? All the other parents show up. You know what? Your parent is different. This is the way they are. Moving the kid or yourself to acceptance of what is and not fighting against it doesn't mean you agree with it, doesn't mean you think it's okay, but they're pretty consistent in their egotism. They're pretty consistent in playing sick to get out of chores. They're pretty consistent in criticizing. Mm -hmm. So once you know these things, that's why these shows are so important, Joyce, because knowledge makes you powerful. When you realize this is just what narcissists do and they do it to everyone, Mm-hmm. You don't take it so personally. Mm-hmm. You know, when your kid gets to 15, 16 years old and they realize, hey, dad's a jerk to everybody or mom's a, a kind of a, you know, a bad word to everybody, mm-hmm. not just to them or mom plays sick at the volunteer events. And the kid comes home and says, wow, mom played the sick card so she didn't have to do the things she didn't want. All of a sudden, you realize these are behaviors about them. They're not designed to hurt you. They're not there to make your life difficult. It's a byproduct of who this person is, and that takes a lot of the sting out of it. And you can move from being hurt to how do I compensate, adjust, or make this okay for my kids? Yeah. Yeah. Now... When you were discussing that situation with your child that that was left behind, do you just openly use the words or how do you explain that other than dad's a jerk? Well, I have a very good therapist Uh and um, I have a couple actually for different things. And I was lucky enough to be dragged through the court system in the divorce where a lot of these words were used and the kids would come to me and say, mom, what's a narcissist? Mom, you know, knowing that dad has, I say there's certain characteristics. That's the word I use. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, dad has a characteristic about himself where he can really only see himself. I'm sorry he didn't see you in that whatever. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, some of dad, you know, this is just my other phrase is this is just dad being dad. Like, you know, criticizing the kids at the talent show, you know, making funny jokes that are really hurtful to parents and children who heard them and embarrass the child. You know what? This is just dad being dad. I'm so sorry. But, you know, dad's behavior doesn't make people like you any more or less. It really has nothing to do with you. If they don't like him, they don't like him. That's just the way it is. Right. You know, you because you can't gloss it over because if you gloss it over, the kid's reality gets all jacked up. But how do you address the self-worth? And now I'm coming from the impact standpoint. So, you know. I might feel that he didn't love me as much as the other one, other child. So how do you, is that a, a, a typical reaction or not? Um, it's a typical reaction. And in my case, you know, the, the polarization started when the kids were small. So I was very open with the kids that says, you know what, right now, I know you're getting all these great things from dad. I want you to enjoy it, but know that it won't last. And it eventually it'll shift to your brother. And sure enough, it did. Mm. And so I teach the kids to enjoy what they can, but know that it's temporary. And that's a really good life skill because Everything in life is temporary. Right. Yeah. Now, you brought up something really, really important, and I found it necessary. However, I didn't have as much success with my therapist as you did. But it is very important to find a strong therapist that understands and deals with a narcissist, narcissistic uh, relationship. Um, and how did you go about doing that? Well, I went through a couple ones that didn't work at first. And this is where I learned that you really need to talk to a therapist and say, you know, you're dealing with someone who you believe has either narcissistic tendencies or a full-blown narcissistic personality disorder. You know, these are the things that I'm dealing with and I need you to help me. Because the first couple therapists, the first marriage counselors that I went to told me to go home and tell the narcissist how I feel, tell them what I was worried about. And all that did, Joyce, was give them, and this is when I call, I use the term weaponizing your emotions and your feelings. All it did was give the narcissist, and of course I did it with my boss too, why wouldn't I? It gave the boss and the partner the tools to really cut me to the quick. Yeah. Oh, well, that's because, you know, you did this. Oh, you know, I can't believe you did this. And I'm, oh, I'm really sorry. Well, of course you did this because of X, Y, and Z. And they'd throw some therapy thing back at me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or coaching in a, you know, and this is when you're in business and you have a business coach and, you know, one of the people is a narcissist, you know, the coach could be a narcissist, but you're in a, you're in a coaching session and the coach encourages you to talk about how you feel. The narcissist is going to go back and throw that back at you for months, maybe mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. So when I say, you know, partner, coach, husband, wife, you know, the, the, the dynamic is the same. You cannot have full disclosure of your feelings like you would with a healthy person because a narcissist will use those against you. Right. Well, we're going to break for for a short um, 
commercial here, but when we come back, I do want us to explore this a little bit more for to help somebody actually find a therapist that can support them through this transition or lifestyle that she's chosen. So we will be back shortly to discuss more about finding a therapist that can really support you on your journey. Transformational coach, motivational speaker, and author Joyce Buford returns after this short break. Close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits. Where would you go? Who would you meet? What would you do? During an Uncover Your Hidden Genius session, you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose, passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person. Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. Tokinet Radio has partnered with one of the largest travel booking engines in the world to offer savings of 15 to 30% or more on hotel booking fees through our own web portal, www.bestradiotravel.com. Discover the discount you can receive by going to bestradiotravel.com forward slash Joyce, J-O-Y-C-E, to see for yourself. This is a custom booking site for the listeners of my show through TogiNet Radio. We have negotiated special rates at over 650,000 hotels worldwide to save our customers money. Our members leverage our massive buying power to save thousands of dollars by booking with us. BestRadioTravel.com can beat the best prices offered by any other major travel booking website. Please go to BestRadioTravel.com forward slash Joyce, sign up, and enjoy the discounts. This is BestRadioTravel.com forward slash Joyce, J-O-I-C-E. Welcome back to this segment of Second Win. Joyce Buford, the author of Effortless Happiness, continues in this segment to share insights that will help you live a life of greater purpose and filled with happiness. Now here's our host, author and coach, Joyce Buford. Welcome back. We are in segment two, and it is our second episode. So we're talking about narcissism, and we're also talking about the empath. That would be the partner of the narcissist, and how they interact with each other. So before break, we talked about uh, the support for the empath or the partner of the narcissist, how you must have support. 
how do you transition through the shenanigans that they do and that are at all costs to break you down, to make you less than, and how do you just survive those those moments that you experience? So, Sandra, help us. You, you kind of went through the beginning of your search for support with some therapist that really didn't fit with you but how did you continue i mean i wouldn't i'm not sure i would i would know to keep keep searching well i think yeah you know joyce i it was disheartening you know the first couple i went to the couple's counselor i went to i i really you know he would tell me these things he's like i want you to go home and do x y and z and on the drive home i'm like are you kidding? That's going to get my head ripped off or, you know, that's going to, that's going to blow up. Like I knew what he was telling was wrong. And then I would go on the internet and I would search. And this was before the huge proliferation of articles on narcissism all over the internet, but I knew there was something wrong. And, um, so I tried another one and I had health insurance so I could, you know, try another one. I tried another one. Then the third one, said to me, you know, this relationship you have is really toxic. You're going to really end up hurt. And your child, I only had one at the time, your child is going to suffer. And, you know, I really think you need to be in counseling. I really think you need this support. And I said, well, can I work with you? And she's like, no, because I'm working with, you know, your partner. Oh, She's like, it's a conflict of interest. And now I'm like, oh, crap. And now what do I do? But she did tell me, these are the things you need to, when you interview therapists, these are some of the things you need to say. And so I'm going to share these with you because, um, you know, they can help you get the languaging I didn't have. And so I did. I started calling around to different people in my provider network. And then, you know, luck would have it. I had to go to family counseling for something else and went there and then met this therapist. And then since she wasn't working with anyone, I snapped her up right away. And I've been with her, you know, 10 years because I needed the co-parenting support. Yeah. So here's what you, you say. You call up and you say, hi, I'm, you know, whatever age I um, you know, educated, not educated. I've been married this long. I believe that I'm married to a narcissist. I'm having some challenges. Right now, I'm not interested in divorce because most of them will tell you the only thing to do with a narcissist is divorce them. Mm-hmm. And then if you have children to say, I have children and the children can be grown. You know, they don't have to be just young little toddlers running around. I have children and I need to know how to support them with their father or mother. Mm-hmm. Or I believe my parent, my mother is a narcissist, and I think some of the leftovers from my childhood are getting in the way of my life. So I really need somebody who has worked with narcissists, either experienced narcissists, or understands that traditional therapy a lot of times doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So real clear, real clear that what you need, you know, you know, do you want to get divorced? You know, maybe you want to divorce the narcissist and you need help along the way through. I know it's really hard to know what you need when you don't know what you need and you don't even know what you're dealing with. But these statements give you a good shot at least to have a meaningful conversation with a therapist and that you're not just looking for general run of the mill couples therapy. Mm-hmm. I have two questions. Um, 
One, did you, when you began your therapy, you was not as a couple? I mean, did you go to therapy wanting marriage counseling or in the very beginning? Or in the very beginning, it- we went, yes, we went with, we went to a couple different marriage counselors because yeah. I thought there was something wrong with me and um, my partner thought I needed to be fixed. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I am, I was there. And so they have such a way, the narcissist has such a way of convincing the therapist. Yes. That he is whole. And you are wounded. Yes. Yeah. And you are. You know, you're sitting there going, wow, I just been thrown over the bus by my, <laughs> my partner. So you are wounded. You're wounded from the moment you walk in there, I'm, but you're also not necessarily the aggressor. Yeah. Do you, this is the second question, Sandra. Do you think that nar- the topic of narcissism is much more known today? than it was, let's say, 20 years ago. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, when I was first filing for divorce, I said, you know, the narcissism got to me and it really wasn't healthy for me and the kids and blah, blah, blah. People would look and think, you know, the person, you know, was a maniac. They did. They, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Nobody knew what those terms were. But, you know, with our changes in government, with social media, with the proliferation of look at me, look at me. What I do matters and nobody else does. Um, we're starting to have more open conversations about how damaging these behaviors are to the people who love and serve them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting how this is all because you can go to YouTube and hear one after another therapists, so many people talking about the narcissist narcissist and that relationship is just it it is very interesting how this has changed grown over the last few years yeah because everybody thinks it's the narcissism bandwagon but if you're married to one or working for one or you have a brother or sister or a parent who's one you're going to look at this stuff and go oh yeah that's me Mm -hmm. and then the reason you do that Joyce is so you can start correcting limiting beliefs correcting false assumptions about yourself correcting back so that you can have a happy whole healthy life Mm -hmm. yeah I I have to say that I I would encourage people not to totally use their therapist as the one on YouTube because I think everybody's situation is so different. Right. And you have to know who you are, what the narcissist is. And only a one-on-one with a personal therapist can you get that benefit of knowing exactly what you're dealing with. Right. And, you know, some of the things that you need from a therapist as you're healing is comfort, is oh, support. Definitely. It's yeah. just a look, you know, like my one therapist had, a, she was married to a narcissist. So she understood very fully when I would say things and I knew she understood because I could see it in her eyes. I'd say something and she'd wince or, you know, her eyes would blink and I'm like, you know, kind of direct hit. I sunk your battleship, but you know, <laughs> you, you know, that person gets, understands it. Yeah. 
It's not yeah. just theory. And so, you know, YouTube and stuff like that and Pinterest articles, they're really great. They really are. They're helpful in aiding your understanding, but they're really not that great at the healing part and then the changes you need to make. Yes. Yes. I so agree. So agree. And also you cannot rely on friends. Don't do this friend bit. It's not fair to them. It's not. They have no idea. They can't. If they're not experiencing, there's no way they can understand what you're, you know, it's like talking about death with family members. You know, uh, you, you can't experience it if you're not there. Right. So, yeah, yeah. And then the other thing, when you share this stuff, um, they may like your spouse and think she's great because they put on this great false front to the public that they're amazing. And then you sound like the lunatic. And now when you get together, everything's weird for your kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, tricky, isn't it? It is a tricky. Tricky, tricky. So we've given really good information for that partner that needs the support that they need to go move on, either with their decision to stay in the marriage, to heal the marriage, to try to do the best they can, or they know what they've got and they're going to stay with it. Right. So, you know, there's so much that needs to be considered and probably in a in a marriage, the most important thing is the children, are the children. How do you work with the narcissist and the children? You don't want to really leave if you decide to leave being the victim because you don't want your children to see you as a victim. So how do you combat that? I mean... Well, this is part of like, you know, what a therapist will work with you on, Um, you know, like the therapist worked with me a lot on making sure that me and my family don't give in to their tantrums, their childish tactics, their, um, you know, it's like when I was a little girl, my older brother used to tease me and he would squeeze mashed potatoes through his teeth while we were eating dinner and I would be the only one who'd see it. Yeah. And then I'd point and go, but he's, but he's, but he's. And then my mom would say, now sit down and focus on your meal. And he would laugh because, you know, it's a brother-sister thing. Mm-hmm. But the same rules apply with a narcissist. The narcissist will do something in the family dynamic to get attention and then be happy when things fall apart. So when the parent or the grandparent does these childish things, they play these games, they say something awful, they they behave in a way that's ridiculous, mm-hmm. you and your kids just ignore them. It's like you do with a toddler. You ignore bad behavior because if they don't get a reaction, they'll either try something else or they'll move on. Mm-hmm. So not giving attention to these tantrums or these childish tactics, that's one of the things that you work with your kids about. When the narcissist is being nutty, you say, you know what, kids, we're going to the movies. Hey, you know what, let's go to the mall. Let's go to the park. Like you remove yourself from the situation. You don't try to fix it. You don't try to coddle them. You just leave. Mm -hmm. 
And it's very much like a, you know, a kid throwing a temper tantrum. You know, they go to their room. You don't go in and rub their head and tell them it's okay. You know, you let them have their tantrum and you talk about it after. Only with the narcissist, there's no talking about it after. And one of the things that I did in my household after we were divorced, I put this little frame up where the kids keep their sneakers. And it says, everyone has a right to their own thoughts and feelings. Mm. And so my kids would see that all the time and they'd be like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Or like, you know, and I'd say, well, you just, you know, you get to think what you think. You get to feel what you feel. You have a right to your own feelings. How you feel about something is yours. And that was a little tactic my therapist had me put in front of the kids, five, six years old. And then as they got older, they're like, mom, you know, so-and-so said I couldn't, that my feelings were wrong. No, your feelings are not wrong. You have a right to your own feelings. Oh, that's what that means. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so little uh-huh. things like that, you know, little tricks and tips they give, um, you know, and you reassure your kids and yourself that you're a good person. You're doing a good job. Like when we go back to, you know, that time that I cleaned the whole house top to bottom and the narcissist picked on the couple letters, unopened yeah. mail that I left by the telephone, um, the one thing to pick on. I learned to say, of course, they're going to pick, find one thing to pick on. Uh huh. Doesn't mean it invalidated the last four hours I spent cleaning the whole house. Right. So that self-talk you have in your head, you need to work on that. And then using humor to diffuse it is also really fun too. You know, telling the story to your friends and going, oh, of course, you know, he finds the one thing I didn't get done. And everybody laughs because you realize how silly it is. And there's more validation without making it some big drama because you can't get tied in. The narcissist feeds on drama. So when you get upset, when the kids get upset, when your parents get upset, everybody falls into the drama trap. And I remember this one time we went out for hamburgers, multi-generation family, and my narcissistic partner had to make this big drama about what was going on with him. And I was like, kids, eat your burgers. And then I'm like, my dad's looking over. I'm like, dad, eat your burger. (laughs) And I was whispering it. But, you know, basically nobody give the drama king or queen the attention. And then the person, the narcissist declared that he wasn't hungry and went and sat in the car. And I said, the kids were like, should we go see? No. We're going to eat our hamburger. You know, this is behavior. If a toddler was doing this, Joyce, you would handle it. And some of these behaviors are like a great big 40-something toddler. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You you mentioned the the getting together, a beautiful example of when we have to get together after divorce with a narcissist. and there are usually those really important times. You know, you're celebrating a, a birthday or a holiday, maybe. Uh, I don't try to blend the holidays. But there's some things that you just can't help, like birthdays. Right. Graduation. Graduations, for yep. sure. And so <clears throat> I have lived through the uh, wedding, and that was um, awkward. <laughs> 
I have to say. How do you do those things? Have you have you found a secret for doing those easier? Uh, because you know they're going to pull all of their shenanigans that they've done just to have that that uh, hero uh, persona at the event. Oh yeah, um, I usually bring a buffer. Uh huh. Um, you know, I'll bring not a date necessarily, but I'll bring a friend or I'll bring a um, I'll bring a buffer to sit with me so that I'm not sitting alone because it's really easy for that person. Um, you know, I think of like soccer games for the narcissist to come over and stir up trouble. So making choices to sit in between couple families so that you're surrounded by people choose a seat that doesn't make you vulnerable so don't choose the end seats don't sit at a table that's right by the bathroom though the narcissist can pretend they're going to the bathroom and come and cause trouble um and then preparing your kids and your family say you know what i'm going to come and watch you do this thing and then i'm going to go sit over here or i'm going to go be here so that we have a plan because the people you care about they know what's going on it's no mystery so if i think that there's going to be potential problems at something like a like a kids concert um my attorney advised me he goes get there early and you sit right in the front row so every parent is behind you ah okay so i went and sat there right in the front row and i watched my kids sing and i didn't have to look behind me because wherever the narcissist sat I didn't have to look at them. I didn't have to see them. I didn't have to deal with them. And I'm literally right in the front row to cause trouble. They would literally have to cause trouble and the whole audience would see it. And most narcissists aren't going to want to go that big. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But your narcissist was good about appearing. Oh, yeah. Attending. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, sometimes, but, um, you know, the, it, the narcissist, you can count on them to show up if there's something in it for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, how do their, how does his appearance show that he, there's something in it for him? Just the fact that he's there? Oh, if, if like the kids are getting a big award, they can stand up there and get their picture taken. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a speech to be made at a wedding, uh-huh. you know, even at a funeral, narcissists are known to stand up and say something about the deceased, even though they're not that great friends with the family. And I've seen this in action with kids going, what the hell is dad doing? He didn't even know this guy. This guy is mom's friend, <laughs> but they'll go up and, and stand in the spotlight. That is so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, <laughs> so, have you included to do Christmases? Um, what I did in my household, because some of the some of the things that I experienced with narcissistic partners have been. Oh, what are you getting the kids for Christmas? And then they have the kids in the morning, so they buy them everything on your list. Yes. Oh. So that when the kids ugly. come to your house, they've already gotten everything. Oh, I already got this at so-and-so's. Oh, I already got this. So that was a learning lesson. Um, um 
when the kids were small, I used to say, let's write a letter to Santa and tell them when you're going to be at mommy's house and when you're going to be at daddy's house. That was a, a, a staple in our house for a couple of years so that Santa knew which house to go to. Mm-hmm. And then I learned not to collaborate with a narcissist on gift giving because you can't win. If the narcissist is a parent, you know, like a grandparent, mm-hmm. they're going to buy something bigger than what you bought. If it's a sibling, they're going to buy something better or inappropriate. Like if you say, I don't want the kids to have electronics yet, they're still too young. Guess what? Aunt Sybil's going to buy them a iPad. <laughs> You know, so holidays get really tricky. So I find it's great to keep holiday gifts close to your chest, to be very clear with the kids or the attendee what you will be doing, where you're sitting and, you know, not not necessarily the why, but just just so you prep them where you're going to be. And there really is no collaboration with a narcissist because they're going to one-up you. Yes. Yes. Very... I, this is something that I'm, I've always been kind of surprised about, not only because I'm an empath, um, <clears throat> that no matter when the children are at my house, they constantly get calls from their father. Oh, interruptions, yep. Constantly. Where I wouldn't myself do that to what I would consider his time. Correct. Well, and this is something that I invite every divorced parent to change in their vocabulary. It's the child's time with mom. It's the child's time with dad. It's not dad's time. And it's not mom's time because it's about the kid. So if it's the child's time with dad, why are you calling all the time? If it's the child's time with mom... Why are you interrupting that time that child has with the parent? Right. Yeah. Yeah. There, as we all know, there are no limits here. <laughs> right. There's there no are. limits, no boundaries. Um, but I wrote an article many years ago that got like 10,000 downloads. Really? And it was about how to make your kids like you better in a divorce. Oh, and you know what it was, Joyce? Uh-uh. Be the bigger person. You know, uh-uh. do the right thing. You know the right thing if you're not a narcissist. You know, don't badmouth the other parent. Don't set them up to look stupid. Don't give them the wrong directions or give them the wrong time to a baseball game. Because all of those things just negatively impact the kid. And narcissists are great game players. You know, they will give you a, a, a baseball schedule. They will give your small child a baseball schedule with the wrong times on it that they created so you would be messed up all the time and look stupid and only figure it out when you show the schedule to the coach and say, this is the wrong schedule. Mm-hmm. So yeah. all sorts of games like that. So what you do is you, you always advocate in your child's best interest. It's in your child's best interest to not know what happened in your marriage, to know that so-and-so cheated on so-and-so. It's in your child's best interest to just go to the baseball game and have a good time. And I know it sucks that you drove around for two hours trying to find an address that doesn't exist, (laughs) but don't say anything. Yes. 
And that's really hard. It's really hard as the parent that's being jerked around not to say anything. But if you can do it, your kids will learn that you're the stable one. You're not the game player. You're not the, you know, the problem. They'll Mm -hmm. figure out eventually who the problem is. And then they'll choose whether to align with the narcissist because what they can give them. Because the narcissist buy kids all the time. Right. And they buy adults. Yeah. And it's, I want to tell, I would really want to share this, that in our path to recover from a narcissistic relationship, give yourself some grace. There's lots yeah. of lessons to learn. There's lots of, uh, uh, you know, you can't do it perfect the first time and heaven forbid if you should do it the second time. But there, are, you're learning every day. And it's that support system which Sandra really shared with you of great tools for you to put in your toolkit. Great tools to help you either stay in that marriage or decide to leave that marriage, which either way you go, it's tough. And so, but if you're equipped, it's not as difficult. You can make it through whatever your, whatever your end objective is for you and your family. And Sandra, we are coming to the end of segment number two, and I can't tell you how much I think this has been even better than the first, because we've shared so many great things that people can use to help their journey be a success. So I thank you very much for being with me with us with me today and i look forward to segment number three where we can continue to share great information thank you sandra you're welcome another edition of second wind through the joyce buford empowerment system women are receiving the support they need through their transitions and are able to reclaim their true purpose with confidence they receive the tools they need to map out new lives You can find out more about her coaching services at JoyceBufordEmpowers.com.